morning again. Um, got a couple of Bible readings this morning. The first one is going to be from Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through to 11. So um, hopefully we've got up on the screen up there. If not, you'll just have to listen to me. Okay, Philippians 3, 4 through to 11. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as, long, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, the next verse we're going to read, let me just find it here, is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. So it's chapter 1, is it? Uh, 1 Timothy, is it? I'm just going to read from up there. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life, that is Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that you may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, uh, in which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your f- mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. It's all, all happening. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome. Can I add my welcomes to, to Bob's welcome? Um, it's great to have you here with us, especially um, if you're here visiting because it's school holidays. Um, Thank you for uh, joining with us, and um, please do stick around so we can get to know you at the end of the service. Um, we are going to look at, I, I nearly didn't think I would be able to preach this morning. I had, was crook as at the start of the week, crooker than I've been for a very long time. Um, and Tara, my wife, has been very patient <laughs> with me and put up with a lot of me laying around in bed this week. So, But it's all come together, and I'm really... Um, Really looking forward to sharing uh, this message with you this morning. So let's just pray that, that God would use it. I'm going to do one gooseneck adjustment. There we go. That feels better. Okay, let's pray together. Our loving Father, we do thank and praise you that we're here. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge that we're not perfect. We're not, uh, you know, we, we make mistakes all over the place. And, um, but we know that your word to us is true. And we thank you that we have it with us now, that we have you and your spirit working in our hearts. And Lord, we just commit our morning to you. We commit our time of looking at this with you. And we ask and pray that you would um, change us and transform us uh, through your word and by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the school holidays. Um, I'm excited that it's the school holidays. I'm going to have some time off after today for a couple of weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. You might 
now be inundated with your kids back at home and so it's going to be busier at home than normal or maybe going away somewhere. Um, but these school holidays are actually, uh, for me, when I was uh, in high school, was always the holidays that I went away to a particular camp. And it was on a camp uh, this time 20 years ago that I actually became a Christian. So today or this, w- this week, these school holidays, is in some way an anniversary of my first becoming a Christian. And it's been on my mind, and that's partly informing what I wanted to share with you guys uh, this morning. Just thinking about that has been a real time of encouragement, encouragement and, and reflection, looking back at how my life has been um, transformed or shaped or, or kind of directed by that over, over 20 years. I'm really grateful for God's work over that time. Um, also, on top of that, uh, there was this framework or idea that I read in a book recently, um, thinking about what, what it actually looks like when someone makes that initial decision to follow Jesus. So put all that together, that's what we're actually going to be thinking about this morning. What is it for someone to be converted to following Jesus? Or what does it mean to come to know Jesus? How does the Bible describe it? And more importantly, why does it matter? Why do we need to think about that? My hope is that thinking through this from the Bible will do three things for us. That it will bring encouragement to us. That it will help us to understand each other. And finally, that it will help us to better understand people that we're seeking to reach with the good news. For me personally, the events leading up to me really following Jesus actually started about 12 months before I made that initial decision, that initial commitment. It happened at a time in my life where I'd finished, I was kind of halfway through year six, right at the end of primary school, and my family were moving from out west to Evans Head. But there was like a two-week period where we didn't have... um, well, we didn't have somewhere to move to, so we actually went and lived with my grandparents who live out ba- the back of Kyogle, out at a tiny little town called Urbanville. And for those two weeks that we were there, the little Anglican church that they were a part of was holding uh, like confirmation classes, communion classes, that kind of thing. And as a 12-year-old, it was like the right age for me in that tradition to go along to these classes, to hear about it. And I, I took part in that. I was confirmed in the Anglican Church as like a, as a year six kid, a 12-year-old. And it really instilled in me this very strong sense of tradition. It was a very proud moment for my pop who was, I don't know, like a warden in the church or something to get up, be up the front presenting me with this little bookmark to say that I'd been confirmed that day. And it all sounds a bit like silly now, but it was a really significant for me but it had thrown me on this completely wrong trajectory of understanding what it is to actually believe in Jesus so we land in Evans Head in the middle of the year and summer comes around and SUFM's on and there's this big crew up from from Sydney here doing um, mission to the town and I'm going along to every single thing that I can but pretty much every time they would get the Bible out and explain something I was just like, no, I'm sweet with this. I I did my confirmation thing. My family had started to go back to church uh, after having not been at church for like eight or nine years of my life. And I'm like, I don't, like I was, I was not listening, but I was just kind of telling them that, yeah, I'm sweet. I've got it. I'm, I'm the kid. 
another nine months later, I'm in year seven. And that's when I went to this youth camp that I was talking about for the very first time. And I'm so thankful to God that at that youth camp, I actually listened to the Bible properly or someone actually taught it to me properly. But it was at that time in my life that I heard what the Bible said about some stuff. Mainly it was actually what it said about uh, relationships, about sex and marriage, which wasn't really on my mind even as a year seven kid. But what it did for me was it, it lined up in my mind or it showed me that in my mind what I thought it meant to follow Jesus or thought it meant to be Christian was a long way from what it actually was. Just hearing about what the Bible says that um, you should save sex for marriage, it, it, it showed me that my view of it or my understanding of it was just different. I didn't understand that. And then that kind of snowballed to them thinking about, well, what is the Bible say about stuff? Oh, hang on, my, my thinking doesn't line up on any of this. And it snowballed and it snowballed until it actually hit me. This is what sin is. Sin is the fact that I'm broken away from God and I need Jesus. I need him to save me. I actually could see for the first time clearly the sin that I was being saved from by having my faith in Jesus. And at that camp, there was like through the camp... Uh, different times where we'd be in small groups doing studies. And in the study material that we had, we had like a little invitation to, to put our trust in Jesus for ourselves, like a little sinner's prayer kind of thing. And I remember in that moment, our group, we sat around and we prayed. And I thought, I just didn't, didn't really mean much. And I said, I just need some time. And I, I have such vivid memories of this up at a campsite in Ballina, sitting out there, and I just needed time by myself. And in that moment, I really in my own heart, accepted Jesus. And that's when it all changed. And it was really noticeable. I went back to school for term four of year seven and my friends thought I'd just like got weirder because I was talking about all kinds of stuff. It was about to be my birthday and I'd got the Kurong catalogue and I'd highlighted all the cassette tapes that my mum was going to be buying me for my birthday and my other mates were about to have birthdays two weeks before me and a couple of weeks after me and it was just the conversation. What are you getting for your birthday? I'm getting a Bible, I'm getting uh, um, a Hillsong cassette tape and I was getting, I think there was, like there were CDs then so I was getting one CD, the teach. Cassette tapes were just cheaper or something like that. But my friends just thought, what, what are you on about? What are you talking about? And the, the transformation in my own life was very noticeable. Well, so what? What's the big deal with how I became a Christian 20 years ago? It's old news. But the thing about both those readings and also the story that we heard uh, for the kids' talk they're all different stories about ways that people come to know Jesus. Paul looks back at his own life in that first reading in Philippians and he looks back at Timothy, Timothy's life in that letter that he's written to him and he's doing it to draw encouragement out of those stories, those moments in their lives where they've come to know Jesus for themselves. See, committing to Jesus is life-changing. It's defining, life-defining. How we remember our coming to Jesus actually should be giving us, I believe, confidence. 
confidence that our faith is authentic and that we're on the right path. How we remember our coming to Jesus should be a big source of encouragement for us. And knowing and sharing these stories gives encouragement to other people as well. It's something we should be doing. And beyond that, it actually gives a set of tangible um, experiences that someone who isn't yet a Christian can take hold of for themselves. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to consider briefly Paul and his um, conversion, and then we're going to look at Timothy and his conversion, and then also that younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son that the kids heard about. And I really want to share these with us this morning so that we can be encouraged in how Jesus has impacted our own lives and the lives of those around us. So firstly, to that passage in Philippians and and the story of Paul's conversion. Now, I'm assuming a little bit that you might know about Paul's conversion story, about Saul, the great persecutor of the church, who becomes, um, but who is met by Jesus on the on the um, road to Damascus. Um, but if you're someone that doesn't know about that, I've put all the references on that, um, on that outline at the back of your sheet, and you can have a look at Galatians and Acts where Paul retells his story for himself. But just to sum Paul up, Paul was that guy that before he met Jesus, he lived as though he had it all together. When it came to following specifically that Jewish law or that Jewish tradition, he was the man. But that was his problem as well. See, his whole understanding was all about the traditions and all about the formalities. So if you have a look at chapter 3, verse 5 of the Bible reading we had in Philippians, he says this, He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. See, Paul is someone who fits the bill of someone who is seemingly born into some kind of right standing with God. But the problem for Paul was that it was, it was that false sense of security that comes from religion. For him, the religiosity of his Judaism. And you can see that it's, that it's fake or that it's false or that it's hollow because of what he goes on to say in verse 6. As for zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. See, if it was really a good thing that had happened in his life, it wouldn't have led to the violent kind of persecution that he was involved in. And ultimately, it wouldn't have led him to the rejection and hatred that he had for Jesus. It wasn't really God that he knew at all. It was just a tradition. And following Jesus isn't following a tradition. There's no element of tradition. Now, traditions have their place, and they have their place, and they work best, and they serve us best when they're dynamic, and they're an expression of culture, and they they understand the culture in which they sit. I would never advocate for just dumping tradition, but you you can't find salvation in it. It's not going to lead you ultimately to knowing God. Knowing God the way that Jesus actually allows us to. See, for me, in that story of my own life that I shared, my confirmation class 
and, and my, that whole process of confirmation, it was like this high church Anglican structure that was almost Catholic in the nature of it. I remember in one of the communion classes that I had being taught that if there was some of the communion wine spilled on the carpet that someone would have to come along and get a knife and cut that bit of carpet up because you couldn't have someone walking on the blood of Jesus and they would consecrate it or do something to get rid of it. It's superstitious nonsense. I I can't put it more politely than that. And it confused me. It really confused me. And it gave me a false sense of confidence to be this kid running around at a, at a beach mission where the gospel's being preached and proclaimed and just thinking that I was all right. I didn't need to really pay attention because I had it all sorted. Paul's life in Jesus is so transformed. If we look at the verses 7 to 9, we see that so clearly. Whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. His confidence in tradition was completely misplaced. Nothing about it saved him. But he says there, I've I've come to know the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In fact, for Paul, his conversion is from trusting in traditions is coming to trust in Jesus. And so that's kind of one model that we get of what it looks like to be converted. But then Timothy is really different to Paul. If we go to that second Bible reading, he was also raised to know God, but it wasn't all filled with tradition. Not much is recorded about Timothy's conversion, but enough comes up at the start of this passage to see that uh, he was raised by his mother to know Jesus. His mother was um, Jewish and she and his father was Greek. So he had this mix of culture going on. And his mother had probably come to know Jesus on some mission that had come to her town um, sometime before Timothy, possibly even when he was a little child. So we don't know much about it. But Paul looking at Timothy and his life, he identifies that Timothy's faith is like that of his mother and like that of his grandmother. And it's not that they're it's their faith. It's not like that he doesn't have a faith of his own, but rather he's saying here that, that his faith is sincere in the same way that he saw that it was sincere in his mother and his grandmother. Paul can see that it lives in Timothy. And so we've got to ask, where does that faith come from? And that's where we get to chapter 3, Dean. This is where the verses that we need to read, they'll come up on the screen for us. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul says this about him. But as for you, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, from infancy, he's been taught it and shown it. 
I think we can be confused from time to time thinking that somehow our kids need to find Jesus in some kind of time of crisis or after some kind of time of wandering to kind of prompt them into taking on Jesus seriously for themselves. You might not think that way, but I have heard that expressed before. That might be the path that you yourself took through your own adolescence or your young adulthood, kind of wandering and then finally coming back. But Timothy seemingly didn't seem to have that experience, did he? He didn't take that for him to come to faith. I've heard an expression before that God doesn't have any grandchildren. And it's a good expression. It makes us remind us that we can't just latch on to our parents' faith, that we've got to own it for ourselves. And it's true that faith isn't given to us through getting baptised when we're a baby. It isn't given to us through being the child of the pastor or the child of the elder or the child of the kids' church teacher or whatever. That's not how we, how we become a Christian or that's not where our faith comes from. But it's just as true, I think, that real and sincere faith can be raised up in a child. And if you're a parent of children, that's actually tasked to you to raise that up in them. There's actually no need for them to be like the prodigal son, who is our third example. And so, again, I'm assuming a little bit that you know this story, the story of the prodigal son that Luke, uh, Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. But it's that fantastic picture of the grace of God. And you've got to remember with this story that he's telling it to the Pharisees. So he's telling it to those guys that have got uh, tradition in mind when he's telling them. But just this part of the story is a challenging picture of the life of the rebel who realizes their sin and then comes back to seek mercy from the God, from their God, from God the Father. And when they do come back to find that mercy, they find grace lavished upon them. Love and mercy and grace all mingled up in that big embrace from the Father. And this is the story of the rebel. And this could well be your story. Literally walking away from God and being ignorant of him for some period of your life. It's a bit like, the fam- there's lots of famous testimonies like this, but I was thinking of the one of John Newton, the slave trader, who wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, and the way that his life was transformed when he just realised that he, he could leave that life behind, that life of, of evil, and come to find Jesus as his saviour. And it is true that God is very gracious with those who have turned their back on him. The great truth. And I wanted to highlight these stories this morning, not just because they make like an interesting survey of what the New Testament says about conversion, but I actually, they came across in a book that I was reading and just one small part of it where someone set up this framework and it really prompted um, or resonated in me that people are really quite diverse And that this experience for all of us will be quite diverse. So while Paul uses these as like real sources of encouragement for himself and sources of encouragement for Timothy, these stories of of their conversion, we've got to remember that nobody's two stories are exactly alike. And they're all valid and actual examples of what it might look like for someone to come to follow Jesus. 
Because the ultimate thing with each of those stories is that the finishing point is faith, is faith in God or faith in God's work through Jesus. That's the big thing about our own stories of following Jesus, that it's Jesus who we're following. And that is a, that is a thing that we always need to celebrate. That is something that is always worth celebrating regardless of what form or shape it actually looks like. Jesus saves those who are rebels and he saves those who are raised to know Christ and he saves religious zealots. Like, he saves. That's the bottom line. Paul and Karina, Paul our pastor and Karina, his wife, their eldest son is Lachlan. And if you've been around this church for like more than seven or eight years, you might know him. He's their eldest son. I think he's about... 26 or 27 now but I remember being at his 21st birthday and after people had kind of roasted him and toasted him in some speeches he was just bawling he was in he was in tears and he was kind of like embarrassed by how much he was crying he was blotchy red in the face I don't know if you were there but you might remember it but what happened through all those speeches is it was so clear how blessed he had been to be raised to know Jesus. I remember chatting to him about it, and it was just really encouraging, the conversation that we had. He was really encouraged through that time. And because, and it actually meant some pretty significant things for him. The way that he'd been raised to know Jesus meant that he'd had this capacity through his years at university to really reach out to people and be a good, encouraging friend to a big group of other guys some who were Christians, some who they were reaching out to and were becoming Christians. See, that, that life, that, the way that he'd been raised, gave him the basis to stand firm and adjust to life outside of the family home. So here's one example. I'm going to make another example of John. John, a couple of Easter's ago, shared his testimony with us at church. And you might have been here for that, for that service. But I remember John sharing how he was like that prodigal son who resisted for ages the grace offered by Jesus until he came to finally accept it. And I think John was in a, near a boiler in a, at the bottom of the sugar mill. Yeah, I remember. For me personally, I've shared, I was kind of like more like Paul, wasn't I? Needed to let go of that tradition that had been confusing me and put my hope in really receiving Jesus. But the thing is, in all these examples that we can think up, we need to remember not to put anyone above anyone else because they're all stories about how Jesus saves. They're all stories of what Jesus has done. No matter how we experience it, it's Jesus who saves us. Now, what if we don't fit these molds? What if we don't fit any of these molds? Well, First thing I want to say is that I actually don't think that these three examples from the New Testament make like an exhaustive list. They're not the only ways to have our faith in Jesus. An example that comes to mind is the testimonies you hear of, of Muslim people that get into the season of Ramadan and are praying and praying and praying and Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden they've, they've come to understand who Jesus is and they've got their faith in him. Or you might hear how churches in Australia, particularly in Sydney, 
are really strong through Asian migration. And half the churches in Sydney, half the evangelical churches are filled with people that have moved here from China or from different parts of Southeast Asia and where they've met a completely different culture and a completely different way of life and found the source explanation of that being Jesus and the gospel and and the outworking of that in this country over a period of time. See, it doesn't matter if you don't fit one of these moulds because it's about knowing your own story and actually drawing identity from what God has done in us. Because it is true that it is Jesus who saves, but it is you who he has saved. And your testimony, your story of, of how he's worked in your life should be a great source of encouragement to you. And so then uh, the further thing that I want us to think about of this is how well do we accept people into our family who are different from us, who haven't been brought up the same way that we have or haven't had that same experience that we have. I think it's a bit of a given that we can find it hard to relate to people who don't share our experiences. Over the years that I've run a youth group, you see this really vividly. You see the church kids come along and they've been taught all the right ways to do it and there's good stuff happening in their lives by faithful parents who have been instilling in them the gospel and and, and the Bible and, and that's outworking in them. And then we open the youth group up for the community kids to come in and their lives are all over the place and it's like I'm so thankful and I really want to take the time to say thank you that I've never had that awful call from a parent saying, hey, who are these kids that you're letting come to the youth group with my kids? Because we think bigger than that, don't we? But, but you see it. How it doesn't always mix in. There can be like a bit of a clash. When, when I've got this story and, and I'm finding my identity in, in this way that it happened to me and, and someone over here is just so different to me. And so that's why it was on my heart to share this this morning because realising that all these stories are validated models of what it is to become a Christian, it takes away any shame we might feel about ourselves. It takes away any inferiority we might feel about ourselves. It can change how we might look down on someone else who has a wild or sketchy path past that they've come out of. It can change how we feel about our own plain-seeming explanation as to how we came to Christ because it resets our perspective. The bottom line is Jesus wants people to know God their maker and he wants them to know it so much that he died to remove the penalty of sin that we're all guilty of. And so do you need to change anything about how you relate to others? Relate to others here, relate to others in your home church. Now finally, the book that I raised, that raised this framework for me, is actually a book about evangelism. I'm not doing a book review or promoting this to you. It's actually really dry and hard to read. But the point it was illustrating was that given each of these different experiences people will have of coming to be a Christian... We actually need to be creative and we need to use lots of different gospel illustrations and testimonies and metaphors and all these different things because different things will resonate with different people. I want to affirm you that bringing up your kids 
to know Christ is evangelism. It's instilling the gospel in them. For me, I, I didn't have that. My mum and dad aren't here this morning, but they're lovely Christian people, but that was not how I was raised. If anyone in my family did it, it was my nan, who was part of that little church that confirmed me. And she would send me Bible verses in the mail or give me little bits and pieces here to read, little books to read. That's evangelism, raising up your kids to know Christ. I want to encourage you to be reaching out to people that have kind of been churned through traditional religious structures or, or religious schools that have just confused them and given them a false understanding of what it's about. And I want to encourage you all to welcome those who have had obvious sin in their life that they've been involved in. Because at the end of the day, we understand that it's only Jesus that saves us and everyone will have a different experience of how they get to that point. Because regardless of how we've come into that kingdom, this is the kingdom that we're a part of and this is the work that we've been given to do. Now, just one final thing. I've realized that I've been speaking this morning about accepting Jesus. I think that there's a very big chance that there could be people here that have never personally accepted Jesus for themselves. And I didn't want to miss the opportunity in this talk to actually give people that opportunity or to at least prompt you to think about it. Have you personally accepted Jesus from whatever past, from whatever you've been going through this week, this year, is Jesus the person that you have your trust in? Maybe for some of the younger ones here, is this the time of your life to make that decision to grow out from under your parents? Or maybe still... Do you need to repent of that kind of traditional attitude, that Paul-like attitude, where you've made wrong things into things that you're relying on to save you? Whatever it is, Jesus will save. So can I encourage you to take those steps, take those steps in your own heart toward faith in Jesus. Let's pray together to that end. Our loving Father, we give you great thanks for these testimonies in the Bible of, of Timothy and of Paul, who in very different ways came to put their faith in, in you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus' teaching in the story of the prodigal son. And Lord, we thank you for that picture given to us of your open arms wide to us when we come back to you in faith. And Lord, from whatever our own life situation, whatever journey we've been on, Lord, we, I pray that everyone here might find encouragement in the time in their life or the period in their life where they came to have faith in you. Be it in a light bulb moment or a defining moment or over that period of time, Lord, I pray that they might draw encouragement and finally Lord for those that are on the edge of putting their faith in you Lord I pray that you by your spirit 
God, help them to see the freedom with which they can come to Jesus and accept him into their life. Lord, I pray that they would, they would make that step. Lord, that they might know the joy and hope that comes to us through knowing you. Lord, we thank you for that joy and hope. In Jesus' name, amen.